Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline. 706-0111-337-706-0111. We won't have a lot of time for phone calls today, but we'll have a couple. Be having our weekly Friday conversation with Nick Fontenot um, in the next segment. And then um, McNeese play-by-play guy Tom Hafer after that. And then UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow about 10-15. So in the other segments, we will have... Open phone lines if you would like to get in. You know, I finally heard this morning. I'm not saying it hasn't been said. I'm just saying I didn't hear it quite put this way. I finally heard one of the national analysts say what I've been thinking about the whole Derek Carr situation. And I kind of, Ryan Clark, like sometime I, he, you know, Sometimes I like him and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I agree with him. Sometimes I don't. I'm kind of hot and cold on him. Um, but he he said about Derek Carr that he called him a, how did he put it, a sweet human being, a sweet human, I think is what he said, and that when you go to New York, you can't be a sweet human. And so, you know, that's part of what I've been thinking. You know, some people think everything is about money. And money's certainly a huge component in, in all these contracts. But I think, you know, I, I, I've been kind of trusting that all along that he's going to at some point say, I just don't want to be here, even if the money might be a little better. And the... The example that I always give on that, when when that subject comes up, is Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford was a player who came up in the Ray. Well, he when he they were the Devil Rays when he came up, and his last year in Tampa, he hit three oh seven. He had nineteen homers, ninety ribs, and stole forty seven bases. You know how much money you'd make right now if you could do that, and he got fooled into going to Boston. When you play your whole career in Tampa, there's no, I mean, there's, there's all, you're playing professional sports, so there's a certain element of pressure, but not the same. It's it's just not the same. So he goes to ball and he's a sensitive, soft-spoken guy. He's not, he just, he, it's like he didn't know himself and his agent didn't know his client. So he goes to Boston. His his first year in Boston, he hits 255, 11 homers, 56 RBIs, 18 stolen bases, and he never had another good year in the major leagues. Not he never had another good year. He 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 was he had become an elite outfielder for the Rays. He went to Boston, then he went to the Punks, and he played in these big media markets, and he never had another good year. And I just think you got to know who you are, and I'm hoping that's that that's the case with with Derek Carr. We will see. Um, 
it appears. Am I? I mean, I guess I'm seeing that Will Lutz is going to be the kicker of the yeah for the look, Saints next year. I got so I've been holding off on on having this conversation with you. I've been letting you rant about Will Lutz. Will Lutz is fine. Look, he had a bad year coming off an injury. He had a bad year the year before. And and the 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 end of the season the year before he got hurt he was not good. I think he's, he's gonna worried. be fine. I I look it's if if the the other thing too is if he struggles early, I think they'll they'll replace him if they have to. But I'm way less worried about Will Lutz than I am about a lot of other positions on this team. I've at least seen Will Lutz being what elite other position other times. than running back was more destructive to the to the team winning or losing than Will Lutz last season. Quarterback? No. The quarterback was not I know, res- yeah, as I know responsible for these losses. But also, kicker's weird, and you have to be – like, look at what happened to, to Dallas. Maher was great all season, and then all of a sudden he melted down. Like, it's a weird position, and I trust the, – it's the same thing I talked about. We did our quarterback t- conversation about Derek Carr on RP3. I trust longevity over one-year results, so I'm going to give Will But exactly. Lutz time. It's been, what, three or four years since he was really well, good. But supposedly he's fully healthy now, which we've heard that before about other players. But if that's the case, I'm fine on Will Lutz. I think he's fine. We bring him back. I'm not worried about it. I think he'll be fine this year. It's, I mean, look, the, you all did it last year, with which I thought was strange when they didn't start Almondaris, and then... The guy struggles. Almondaris comes in. He apparently is really bad in practice. He's great in the games. It's it's a weird position. It's a weird position. Oh, but no, I think Lutz I, is fine. I, I agree with that. And look, there was a, I, the Saints. They were paying the piper for that pig Martin Anderson uh, all them years, and they, and they struggled to find a kicker forever. And they were so bad on special teams forever. And then when they found Will Lutz, it was like, man, this is tremendous. And what did he have? Two good years, and then. And then the back half of the year before he got injured, he was not good. And then he had the injured year. Then now last year he was terrible. He was the worst kicker in the league last year. Well, but also that the the end of that year was supposedly when the injury happened, right? That's when he was playing through it. Wasn't that part of the reason they shut him down to try and get him healthy afterwards? I, I may be remembering that wrong, but I I have always felt like when he's been fully healthy and declared fully healthy. I've never had issues. Now, look, if he's not healthy... He's missed too many kicks. If he's not going to come back and be that guy that he was, then then they'll have to move on, obviously. But look, they, I'm okay with bringing he, him back. Basically, what he said was, I wrecked the team season, so give me a bad contract and make me earn it. Which I can respect. I mean, that's essentially what happened. Like, he realized that he was awful, and he cost the team two to three games by himself because he can't make a stupid kick. And... um you know, indoors with no wind, um, and 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 so I'm fine with it. But I just I've just lost trust in. I mean, he. I mean, it's it's just not that hard, folks. It's just not that hard. I mean, Eddie Panero was terrible, and that guy had a great year last year for the Arnolds. Lutz has been over 82 percent every season of his career except last year. It's just terrible. Even the 2020 year that you're saying he was. The he end of was, the year, he was not good. I'm telling you. Well, the end of the year, that's fair, but I'm just saying that's why I'm, I think the sample size of him being good is bigger than the sample size of him being bad. Well, he better, he better pick it up. Like, I just, I just, when you're playing indoors and you're playing, you know, if you're kicking in Chicago or New York or Philly, I, it's a little different than when you're playing 
you know, eight games indoors, nine when you count Atlanta if you played it, and then your other ones in Tampa when the weather's normally. You just there's just no excuse for it. You just can't. It's just not that difficult. If Eddie Pinero can do it, then you should be able to do it. So, look, I'm fine with it. I, I'm I'm not discounting the, um, you know, what he did and they sign him and it's going to work salary cap wise and all that, but he better get it done. By the way, I looked it up. And again, this goes to my point from yesterday. So many people don't understand that it's a team game. I looked it up. The Saints fell to 20th last year. They were terrible for like in the Breeze Casper era. The first, like, 13, 14 years, they were horrific in special teams. And people don't realize how important special teams are. They finally got rid of that bozo special teams guy, McMahon. And they, um, in 20, what, 19, 20, and 21, 19, 20, 21, and 22, they were top five in the NFL and special teams. And one of those years, they were number one. Last year, they were 20th. A humongous drop-off. Now, some of that is Will Lutz being a pig, but that's not all of it. They they dropped from the top five for three years in a row to 20th in special teams. And uh, people just don't realize how important that is. We think it's all about the quarterback. But it's not like if if they were still top five, they win two to three. They they win ten games, either nine or ten games. But everything else the same. If they were still a top five special teams, people do not realize how important that is. Special teams can just destroy you. Go ask the Patriots. The Patriots through Tom Brady's era, they had one of the best special teams almost every year. That was a huge reason why they went, and no one ever says it. No one ever says it. But last year, they were terrible on special teams. That's why they didn't make the playoffs. Now, their their offense was terrible, and he did a stupid thing by, just a stupid thing by Matt Patricia and his OC. I don't even know what, what he was thinking. I was just ignorant. But the biggest reason they didn't make the playoffs because their special teams were deplorable, and they're used to being top five in the league. People don't understand how important special teams play is. It's just critical. And that's why the Saints struggled. That's why Breeze had to be so good for the Saints to win for so long because he never got any help from the special teams, none, and the defense most of the time. Now, sometimes he got help from the defense, but they had every once in a while they had a good defense in Breeze's, you know, until – until, you know, the first 12 or 13 years. But they never had a good special teams. They were terrible every year. They constantly had to overcome that junk. And and it's just so much more important than people realize. So Lutz needs to spearhead that stuff. I mean, he, he, he's he got to make kicks. The, even last year, the punter, I mean, at times he was good, but he had some terrible punts last year. Like, where did that come from? He looked so good the year before, and they just – they were just not the same special teams unit. I don't I don't I don't know what happened, but they fell from top five to twenty. That's got to change. People do not realize how important that is. And it it, it and how much it just makes the cold quarterback look so much better when you constantly 
when you consistently only have 40 or 50 yards to drive instead of 80 yards to drive like Breeze had to do practically his whole career. He had to drive like 80 yards to score a touchdown almost every time he got the football because forever the special teams were deplorable and the defense was bad. Just makes a huge difference. Huge, huge difference. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. Again, I want to love Will Lutz. I mean, you know, I was one of the few Saints fans, still probably still am, that just hated Martin Anderson. So and 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 have to pay the piper for that pig all them years with Bat Alindo Mare and all these other awful kickers they had. And I, it looked like they had finally found one. And then now he he pulls, you know, the for two straight years, got nothing. Well, two and a half years, nothing from him. Nothing. So I I'm I'm okay. I was ready to move on. I mean, it took a long time where I was finally like, okay, I'm just done with it. I just, I just can't take it anymore. So now I had, I had moved on. I'm okay if they stick with him, especially under the way they did the contract. But he's got to come through. I mean, it, it, we cannot be this bad in special teams again. Got to stop. Got to make kicks. It's not that difficult. It's just not. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back with our friend Nick next. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. We have with us our friend, Mr. Nick Fontenot, who I'm thinking is not too pleased this morning. How are you, sir? Not at all, Kevin. <laughs> not at all. I mean, you, start, I mean, you're on the road. You're on the road, but uh, not a good performance. You outscore the other the opponent by ten in the fourth quarter and lose by five. Uh, Ingram had 36 points, but it was on 12 of 27 shooting and not a lot other than McCollum with 23. So what did you see? The offense is so difficult to score. Like They, they don't make it easy. Nothing is easy. Everything is, is very difficult. I mean, Brandon Ingram scored 36, and all of his shots were contested. He's double and triple teamed, and he's making some of these shots. But it's just like they – the offense is, is just it's just it's just difficult to score points, and it's tough to watch sometimes because even though Ingram had thirty six, it, it wasn't a it wasn't like a, a beautiful thirty six or anything that you really you didn't even feel like he had thirty six because he was just struggling to get every point that he had last night. It, it, it was just a not a, not a good performance coming out of the All Star break. Is 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 McCollum having trouble getting back to the distributor after having to be the main scorer for so long? Is that part of it? Yeah, it might, it might be some of that. And I, I think you know, I just think missing Zion, the whole team is just is just out of whack. Everybody's not doing what they were used to do. And, and yeah, you're right. He was doing so much when when both of the big guys were out, and now Ingram's back, and it's it just it's just very clear 
that Zion Williamson is the best player on the team, and and he was the guy that made it run. I didn't think it was that way. I thought I thought we missed uh, both of those guys equally, and I thought when Ingram came back, it was going to be a, a lot of what we had last year towards the end of the year when we got McCollum, and they were going to kind of fall into place. But it, it's not like that. And, and it seems like CJ is uh, is kind of missing missing a beat. And one more thing that happened last night, um, you know, they benched Trey Murphy, and and that was that was weird because. Uh, Josh Richardson got the start, and I think everybody assumed that he was going to get the start in favor of Herb Jones, and, and Herb got the start. And so with the offense not not really working right now, I don't know why they would have benched Trey Murphy, especially since he had a fantastic all-star weekend where he was in the slam dunk contest, and he, he was riding high and, and kind of showcased for everybody to see. He comes back after the break and gets benched for, for really no reason, and he's the best shooter on the team, so that didn't make much sense. And the entire offense is just out of whack right now. He scored nine points in 23 minutes. Herb Jones had two points in over 30 minutes. And the defense is not even guarding Herb. He just, Herb Jones just stands in the corner, and nobody even guards him or pays attention to him. And so what that does is not only do they not respect Herb Jones offensively, but it, it, it makes Brandon Ingram get two or three guys on him. He's double and triple teamed every time uh, down the court, and he's he's making some of these plays. He's, he's, he's scoring the ball despite being double and triple team, it would just make it much more easier if he didn't have to face all that. And so I'm not saying to never play Herb Jones. He's a really good defender. But, man, I, I just thought I thought starting Trey Murphy was the move. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to start Josh Richardson, that's fine. But do it in place of Herb. I think Josh Richardson is a good player. And, and I think after the game, Willie Green said they're going to try to explore some more options with starting him because I think he's a really good player and he makes the team better, but but not in favor of, not in favor of Trey and it just it really disenfranchised Trey. You know he was ha- he came off of a great All Star weekend and then to get benched, I think it really took the the air out of him a little bit. All right, so you play the Knicks and the Knicks, that's not going to that's going to probably be a more even more difficult game to win. It's it's so tough right now, and the intensity last night was pretty high. It was it was kind of fun to to watch these post All Star break games. Like every game is starting to matter now. When you get to that eighty two game season, some of them just drag on. But right now, the intensity was up. And what what also what also was horrible about last night was that a lot of those players on the court, we were thinking the player like this might trade for uh, OG and OB and and Gary Trent and those guys. So they kind of. We we're kind of like, man, what would that guy look like if the Pelicans had traded for him and they didn't quite do it? And and so this game against the Knicks is going to be tough. I mean, every game is going to be tough and every game matters. The Pelicans are right on that play-in game line. I'd really like to get out of the play-in game and not have to worry about that. But I think the Pelicans are going to be fighting for it all year long, especially with Zion's extended absence. So uh, no no games are gimmies. Even even the, the teams that you should beat, uh, they're not gimmies right now for the Pels. Uh, how worried are you that they're going to be inept on the road from here on out? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't. I, I've never really been concerned about the home and, and, and away stuff and, and the, the difference. The difference in the game. I know that the back to backs are going to be tough because I don't think Ingram's going to play very many of them. I think CJ's kind of uh, kind of hampering a hand injury as well, so he's probably not going to play many back to backs. And he even mentioned I listened to a podcast he did with JJ Reddick. Where he was like, you know, some of the back-to-backs just don't make sense, especially when you know you might be going from uh, from uh, New Orleans to Milwaukee and you got to play back-to-back. He's like, that doesn't really make sense for for me to play that game. And so uh, you, you know, the, back, the back-to-backs are gonna are gonna be tough for us because I think a lot of the guys that are that are nursing injuries are, are gonna sit out. And man, when we're missing when we're missing CJ or Brandon Ingram, it's just really it's gonna be really tough to 
to win those games. And, and like I mentioned earlier, every game right now matters. I mean, they are they're like two games before two games behind third place and two games in front of 13th place. So, I mean, you, you lose a couple of games in a row. If you get on a streak like they went on earlier this year, I mean, you could be talking about not just playing tournament, but just completely missing the playoffs. I don't even want to get near that, man. We got to start, we got to start getting it together and winning some games. All right. So by the way, you mentioned JJ Reddick. Is that guy just like stirring the pot or do you think he's actually, you like him? I love him. I think he's his podcast is really is really great, and he's he's part of this new media stuff. But man, he he's so smart, and he just breaks down games and breaks down uh, things and, and interviews the, the top guys in the game. So no, I really like him. I know like older guys like probably your generation doesn't like him. I think I think he's just he, he played and he knows what what's going on in today's game, and so a lot of the thought processes of the NBA from. I guess yesteryear are just not relevant anymore to these players, and so I think he brings that insight into the fact that hey, you guys might think this, and that might have been what happened in the '80s and '90s, but it is just a completely different game now. And I think he just brings that insight to the conversation. All right, what are your thoughts on the Denver Nuggets because they continue to play with incredible consistency? And yet, I still think there's this thought process for most people that they're not a serious, like they're just a, they're going to be a, a, a playoff phony team. Like, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, until they do it in the postseason, it, it's going to be that. I mean, we've seen teams many times win a bunch of games and have the MVP. We saw Steve Nash win two MVPs in a row. It's, it's kind of we're kind of drawing parallels to that. Where. The, the Suns in the Steve Nash years were so good, and they were running up and down the court and winning 60 games, and Steve Nash was winning the MVP. He got in the playoffs and, and, and couldn't do much. So I think the Nuggets are in that same boat until they do it. Now, they have a lot of players. Jokic isn't all they have. They have some nice pieces, but until they get in the postseason and do something, it's going to be that. I don't care how many MVPs uh, Jokic wins in a row. If it doesn't come with a championship, it's almost meaningless. I mean, we look at those Steve Nash MVPs now. It's kind of yeah. Kind well, of that was just silly. Name yeah, yeah right, naming Steve Nash MVP was just silliness. But but again, if you look at the Western Conference, you could argue okay, the Nuggets are phony. You a lot of people think not that the Grizzlies are totally phony, but they don't think they have a roster to win a title. So you could say they're phony. No, does anyone really believe in the Sacramento Kings? I mean they. The Clippers have largely been phony. Uh, and Dallas, most people don't think they play enough defense to make a serious run. So, like, who's real? Agreed. I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's wide open. That's why it was so important to, to try to get better at the deadline. And I think the Pelicans got better, but I don't think they did enough to really make that run. It, it was the front office telling us that we're not quite ready yet, which, you know, hey, look, it's fine. If we're not ready, we're not ready. But I thought we were ready, and when they didn't make the moves, I was like, okay, I have to taper my expectations because the front office has tapered theirs. And so I don't think the Pelicans are a serious contender to make a run at the championship. But then again, like you say, you mentioned the West. Like, who is? They're all kind of they're all kind of jumbled up up there. I think that I think that Kyrie Irving and and Luka Doncic's combination is is very intriguing. I don't know how, if it's going to work, but but that sure seems to be a duo that can make a run once the playoffs start. I don't know. The West on paper doesn't look very good, but we'll see. I mean, Denver might just surprise everyone. They got better, and LeBron James is playing great. I think the Lakers have a a chance to maybe do something special in the playoffs. And and, and really, the way it is, Denver should be in the finals because there's not not, not, the Suns are obviously the great wild card here. Like, if the Suns work out with 
Durant, then you know they're the wild card. But other than them, that they, they should do well. It'll be interesting to see how they play. All right, just before I let you go, uh, are you feeling better or worse about the Derek Carr situation, and where do you stand on Will Lutz? Well, I'll do Will Lutz first. I, I don't, I don't mind just because kickers. I mean, they're, they're whatever. Like, I don't think we're going to bring in a kicker that's going to fix all of our kicking troubles. If you don't like Will Lutz and you want to get rid of him, that's fine. But if they keep him, I think he's going to make more field goals than he misses. He's going to miss a couple. I think they're all going to miss a couple. So we don't. We're not going to get Justin Tucker. So if we're not going to get Justin Tucker, then we might as well just just keep Will Lutz. As far as Derek Carr, I'm not feeling real good. I, I've I've come I've come back to the ledge a little bit on that because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and Jason Lockenfora, who's a guy I trust a lot with his information, kind of thinks that it, the Jets are a done deal. So I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the Saints were a done deal. So who knows who who knows who knows what? But right now, it it really looks like it's it's leaning towards the Jets, which means the Saints are out. And if that's the case, well, I'm, I'm I've, I, I, I don't know if you Dalton in the face. I don't know if you were listening before, but I've already got a nickname for him. If he goes to the Jets, I'm gonna I'm my nickname for him is Carl Crawford. I mean, he's just setting himself up for that. <laughs> I, I mean, they 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 told me he's gonna be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he comes to the Jets. <laughs> I just I can't even wrap my mind around that statement. Every time I hear it, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> what? Like, well, Kevin, last year. Last year, if you remember, when the Saints played the 49ers, you said that the quarterback of the Saints was probably going to be on that field, whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo or Andy Dalton. I'm thinking you might prove to be correct. It's going to be one of them, and I don't think it's going to be Garoppolo. <sighs> More crawfish. And look, I, I think they can win 10 games. They, they should have won 10 games with Crawfish this year. And at least next year, if it is him, at least he'll be going into the season and prepared, more prepared than he was instead of just kind of getting thrown in and, you know, in week four or five, whenever that was. And maybe Will Lutz can make a kick and maybe they can have a running back that doesn't fumble the football. Oh, I man. agree. I agree with you, Kevin. Just as a Saints fan, we have to bring our expectations back to the pack a little bit because we spent the last 15 years with Super Bowl as our goal. Now that's not our goal anymore. Our goal is back to where it used to be before that, where it was like, we just want to make the playoffs. And making the playoffs has to be a goal. And if that's our goal, then I think we can have a successful season next year. But I don't see a Super Bowl in our future anytime soon. Well, the I still think the NFC is wide open. And, and and I think at the end of the year last year, other than the cheaters, and the Eagles were good, but again, the Eagles defense when the Saints look good for a for a, a half offensively against the Eagles defense. The Cowboys scored 30 some points on them. I I don't know how really I think the Eagles defense when they played a bad offense could just crush them. But when they played a good offense, I don't know how good they really were. I mean, I'm talking about compared to other. The Saints at the end of the last year, I think their defense was right up there with anybody else in the NFC, other than maybe the Cheaters. And and, and so I'm just not – look, if the Saints were in the AFC, I'd be negative like all of y'all. But I right now, um, I, I just can't be that negative um, in the NFC. But that's for another day. I appreciate your time. Hopefully their Pels can get a few more wins so you can feel a little better. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. 
That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. We have with us McNeese play-by-play announcer, Mr. Tom Hafer. How are you, sir? Excellent. And you? Oh, hang it in there. It's a little busy. You know how it is. Got all these sports colliding right now, but it, it, it it's it's fun. And plus, I'm a baseball guy, so I'm, I'm starting to get excited about baseball season. So, did this loss to Houston Christian kind of do it or not yet? Um. Possibly, and you know it's it's really gotten difficult for the Cowboys. They lost Trey English this week in practice, so they only had seven active players in the game last night, and and this just has continued to get worse as the season's gone on. We were complaining a month a month ago about only having nine guys and uh, how that was causing problems, and now it's down to seven, um, and and the team still is struggling a little bit in those latter parts. Of, uh, of some of these ball games. Uh, and, and yeah, they, they got a win against New Orleans um, on Wednesday, next Wednesday, uh, to have a chance. And they might, you know, it's, it's, they're just going to have to get down to the tiebreakers at that point. Um, they also need some help maybe uh, from, from some other teams to, to get into the tournament. But uh, at this point, with seven guys, uh, it's, it's not like we'd be any threat in the tournament anyway. And when you beat someone like Southeastern and then you play it, got to play him in a rematch on the road, that's not a good scenario. It's not a good scenario. They, they know what we did well in the, uh, in the upset win, you know, a couple of weeks ago now, and, and uh, that's going to be tough. So uh, it, it'll be tough tomorrow on him and no question. Um, it's, it's just an un, it's a, it's an odd situation, you know, and uh, it, it makes you it makes hard to evaluate, you know. What, what do you what do you think going forward, you know? But when when five of your guys are out uh, for a good por- portion of the season, how do you evaluate the players and the uh, and the coaching staff and everything else going forward? It's really tough. All right. Um, while that was not good news earlier this week, it had to be fun to. Uh, like I, I, I don't remember if it was when I was interviewing you, but one of the things I like about baseball and softball is if you're a good mid-major program in those sports, you have a decent chance of hosting really good people. In the other sports, you don't really have that opportunity. And, the op- and to be able to host a, a, pa- a top 10 or top 15 uh, Pac-12 school and beat them, that's fun. Yeah, you know, the softball team has done a really good job. They're off to an 8-3 start. Um, it's not surprising that they're competitive with some of those teams like that, but uh, to win a couple of those games, you know, that, that's that's great. And uh, you know, the baseball team they won one out of three against Creighton, which is you know um, a, a very good program as well. And yeah, being a mid-major in the South, you get you get your opportunities in both of those sports. And uh, uh, I remember I grew up in Southern Illinois, and I remember all of those schools would would make a Southern trip. Uh, early in the season and, and uh, uh, you know, like my, my alma mater, which is Eastern Illinois, and I also went to Southern Illinois for a while. And those were go- both good baseball schools, and they would make that, that early February trip. It used to be early February. Now they've, they've moved it back a little bit uh, 
uh, and part of that's to not give those Southern teams quite as much of an advantage in those early, uh, you know, with the early practices and those kinds of things. So in the early going on softball, because, you know, the Cajuns have three games uh, later on with, with McNeese. In the early yep. going in softball, is there anything uh, that's maybe even a little better than you thought in certain areas? Or, or what does it look like so far? Uh, the two pitchers look pretty darn good, and that's uh, that's good to know. We thought they might, but, I mean, they're, they're both pitching really well. Uh, and then Jill Poulard is just having a great start to the season. A couple of clutch game-winning hits, including a home run. Uh, so, so that uh, the team looks deep. Uh, look like they got many options at some of those positions that don't have a real, you know, guaranteed starter. And some of those battles are going to continue on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, they lost. Um, they lost their last game three to nothing at South Alabama. But, but they're they're hosting another tournament. The Cowgirl, I guess it's called the Cowgirl Classic, two uh, this weekend, and uh, it'll be another chance to demonstrate where they are and and uh, where they are right now. It looks to be pretty solid. And you play Ole Miss is one of the teams that's coming into there, and then the Cajuns will play them on the other side of there on their way home. So it is, you know, that's another opportunity to beat a Power Five team. Yeah, exactly. Coach uh, Landrino has no qualms about playing these guys. In fact, he really wants to play the better teams. Uh, for a bunch of reasons, you know, winning a conference tournament, you can be the best team in the conference and not win the conference tournament really easily. And so playing those those uh, up up teams, Ole Miss and people like that, uh, it, it helps your power ranking down the road. So that if you end up with a really good record um, and, and some of your losses are against these schools, uh, in, in the Power Five or even mid majors uh, that are that are good conferences and good opponents, uh, it really helps have that opportunity to get a bid into the tournament anyway. And uh, you know, Southland has not always been a uh, anything but a, a one bid league, and that was your your tournament winner. And and now over the last say five to eight years, there's been a little more opportunity for a, a second team to get in. All right, the Cajun baseball team will be in Lake Charles, I believe it's next Tuesday next week. Uh, what are some of the early impressions? I know you hadn't played many games, but uh, of the baseball team. Yeah, Grant Rogers, who's the pitcher of the year in the Southland last year, he, he pitched a phenomenal game in the opener um, and shut him out. One to nothing was the, was the final in that one. The game lasted an hour and 51 minutes. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know, college baseball game. <laughs> They, especially in February, especially on a cold Friday night, they always have a tendency to end up being four hours and 20 minutes because there's so many pitching changes and everything else uh, early in the season. But, yeah, he pitched six innings and we just, just rolled right through them. The bullpen was phenomenal, and they won that game. They've lost three since then. Two of those were to Creighton. One was to Sam Houston State. Those are all good programs, so it's not like they're uh, they're panicking in any way yet. Uh, but we'll see how they do this weekend. Uh, that'll be a you know it'll be interesting to go up to Arlington and see how they do against uh, that school and and uh, first road trip. All righty, sir. No, and it's early in the year, and and sometimes. You know, the pitching, especially when it's cold early like that game you were describing, I think the pitchers kind of have the advantage. And once it gets starts heating up in, you know, April and May, then I think the hitters have the advantage. So we'll just kind of keep an eye on how that plays out. Yeah, no question. It's interesting, you know, this weekend, like the Cowgirls are hosting it, and it's it's very warm. Temperatures are warm. The winds are out of the south at both the ballparks at, uh, at McNeese. 
uh, if the wind's out of the south, it's blowing out to left field. So uh, so that adds to a little of the offense early going. But sure, the pitchers do have the advantage in the cold temperatures. We just haven't seen a whole lot of that. All right, sir. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. Enjoy it, Kevin. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706 706-0111. 706-0111. Got a chance to go to Russo Park last night, see the Cajun baseball team. I told Coach Deggs after you wanted, you just proved me wrong. I thought it was going to be a close competitive game. Jack Sterner, had, you know, last year he had an ERA of 3-1-8, which is a good ERA. Division One baseball, he had a great first outing, gave up one hit in seven innings in Ruston this past weekend. And the Cajuns just... It wasn't that they just totally lit them up, but they did. But and they did it with small ball. They they played the kind of offense that Coach Deggs just loves and endorses. And and Kyle DeBoer started it off with a double to right field, and they talked about how they came in and and extra hours of BP before the game, even before the official BP, and. And they worked on the approach against this guy because he's a little bit of a unique pitcher for a right-hander, and and it worked. And they, I mean, they won going away. And also Tommy Ray, who's one of the guys that we've been talking about since January, that you know could be a starter. We'll see how it plays out. Um, he pitched fabulous last night. Six innings, uh, very very solid. Uh, walked a few, but not a ton. Didn't have serious control issues. Uh, and so he put a foot his his a big step forward to maybe being a weekend starter down the road, just as Brendan Moody did the day before. So you know we'll see. It's still early, um, and I do think pitchers are largely ahead of hitters right now. But again, you know the Cajuns are probably going. Man, I, I'm I'm hearing the weather at Round Rock is going to be like in the 70s this weekend when LSU's playing. You know, Kansas State and Iowa and, and Sam Houston there. Uh, when the Cajuns were there last year, the temperatures were not in the 70s. They were like in the 20s. And it was cold and rainy for some of that. So it was uh, miserable conditions compared to what it's going to be like this year. And um, But no, it, it a lot, lot of good things. Folks, Mason Zambo uh, just continues to look. I, I said it like. Four times last night in the press box, that cat's trying to be the first baseman of this team. And he keeps trying really hard and making really good cases to be the first baseman uh, defensively and offensively. And Caleb Stelly, DH, and he had a, a hit, big hit too in one of the rallies. So, you know, it's a good thing when you're off to a pretty good start you're four and one and your best hitters haven't really hit. Now, Corson got RBI single last night, but still he's not, Max hadn't done anything. Um, 
Julian Brock got an RBI single last night as well, but but he hasn't really started hitting yet either. So arguably, three your three best hitters haven't even hit yet at all, pretty much. Uh, Veyon's off to a slow start. And so, you know, that's pretty encouraging. And, uh, no, there's a lot to like about this baseball team, and it was just fun being out there because I'm not going to get nearly as many opportunities as I would like because of, you know, I'm going to be in Pensacola next weekend when they're playing Campbell and – and then this weekend, the softball team is going to be playing LSU on Saturday and then again on Sunday. So it's just, um, you know, a lot of conflicts with other sports right now, and that's just kind of the way it is. But that was a very good um, very good performance last night. Uh, you know, no way did I expect to see an 11 nothing game when I when I, when I you know, pulled up at the park last night. Sterner's a guy who, uh, like, his brother's in AAA, you know, and he had a really, he's had a nice career, so you just didn't expect to to, to handle them the way they did. Now, the, the supposed story on BYU is if you get past their starting pitchers, then you're in good shape. They have good starting pitchers. Well, last night, you know, they didn't, they, they touched up the starting pitcher, and then the bullpen didn't do a whole lot better, so. Um, you know, going in, this was looking like a real challenging series. Game one was really challenging, but did very well uh, last night. So we'll see what what happens. And then now you're back to Jake Hammond and 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 then Nezu, and we'll see what happens. Um, that there was a one play last night where it looked like DeBarge hit a homer and. I watched the replay like four times, and I still have no idea if it was a home run. I I kind of thought it was a home run, but they ruled that it wasn't. I I I still don't really know what happened right there. Yeah, so I mean, if the ball hits the top of the fence, it comes back in play. It is in play, but I have no idea how physics wise. I don't have a physics degree. I have no idea how that ball didn't bounce over the fence. Do you know what I'm saying? Like with the momentum yeah, to me, and the it angle hit something that it hit on at, the other side of the fence and came that's back. That's what I thought, but. Yeah, on the on the TV angles, there you couldn't tell. So I think I think they made the right call with what they had to to do. But it was very strange the way the ball bounced. I don't, I, and it, it's a good thing that play wasn't you know important in the long yes. in, in the long run of the game because that was a weird one. Well, and he ended up scoring anyway. Um, with, with, with they hit behind the runner and then and then got him home, which. You know, I know some people love home runs, and look, I love home, my team hits home runs too, but. I, I I prefer when they, you know, play baseball is when I, I call it. I mean, uh, if you're watching a game with me, especially the Astros, like you get a run on set, like let's play baseball right here. Uh, and what that means is small ball, the way the game was originally intended to be played, not so much the way it's played right now. But uh, And look, there's times they had a home run. Don't don't um, El Perro hit a few of them in this postseason that it was time to hit a home run. A home run was needed, and he delivered in a uh, in a great great way. To, that you know, that first game in Seattle when I was landing in Orneville, um on the way to who were the Cajuns, whoever the Cajuns were playing in football. Um, who would that have been? Marshall. That's what it was. It was the Marshall trip. Um, and and literally right when the plane touched down in Orneville, he uh, he he hit the home run. I, I missed it. I saw the replay. But right when I, I turned my phone back on, it just texts everywhere. He had literally just hit that home run to beat to beat the Mariners. So no, I'm 
there is certainly a time and place for home run. But by the way, speaking of baseball, I heard t- I saw I heard today thirty four days away from opening day. Man, that's closer than I thought. Thirty four days away from opening day. So. You know, I haven't we we've talked about it here and there, more like roster construction wise. We haven't really started talking about the season and how good they're going to be, or or why they're going to be good or bad. And and we just talked about the injuries and the roster construction. But you know, the 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 one of the things that we mentioned yesterday, and we'll talk more about this, you know, when we get a little closer to opening day. But I'm really not even that upset that Lance McCullers is going to start the year rehabbing it because for two reasons one he's not going to finish the year anyway he never does and so you might as well start out with an injury (laughs) might sound negative but it's true and as long as he's back for the second half he can make it to the end of the postseason they're better off anyway that way um the other reason is Hunter Brown I'm like I'd like to see what he can do and now because McCullers you know, they lost Verlander in free agency and McCullers is going to start the year on the DL or I keep, I can't get out of the IL, the IL, they call it now. Um, it, it gives us a chance to really see Hunter Brown, which is going to be more exciting early in the year to see McCullers pitch anyway. That's it for hour number one, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome. Back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On this Friday Kind of strange in that basketball game tonight. We've talked baseball. We've talked a little bit about the Saints. We uh, looked at the McNeese situ- athletic situation a little bit with our friend Tom. Now I want to kind of discuss it. We talked about it yesterday, but want to discuss tonight's game. Cajun men's basketball team. Playing South Alabama tonight, 8 o'clock on ESPN2. I remember going into the James Madison game. Neither Dawson or I felt real good about that game. Is it fair to say we feel a little better about this matchup than that one, but not great? Or how would you kind of look at class? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much how I would say. I feel better than James Madison. I, I still think if I had to make a prediction – I would lean UL, but it would be close. I mean, I'm talking like 50, if you were to give me a number, 55%, you know, like I would be a, I would, I would lean UL if I had to pick a team, but I would not be surprised at all if South Alabama won the game. Now, South Alabama doesn't really have anything to play for other than they, I don't think they like the Cajuns a whole lot, one, and two, uh, you know, when you've won eight out of nine, you want to kind of keep that, that after the slow, slow start they had, you want to keep that momentum going. Early in the year, one of my concerns about this team was rebounding, and it turned out that my concerns were largely unfounded. And the reason why I said that is because I don't cons- Jordan gets a lot of rebounds, but I don't consider Jordan a great rebounder. He's kind of thin. He's not 
overly aggressive as a rebounder. Um, and I like Terrence a lot, but he's not real big. And they don't, you know, they have Isaiah Richards who plays sometimes, but he didn't play that many minutes. So I was worried about would they be able to rebound against a really good rebounding team? Now, for the most part, that has not been a problem at all because it seemed like most games they out-rebound the opposition. But this is the biggest team in the league, South Alabama. Uh, they got some big guys. So I, I'm wondering if rebounding is going to be a little bit more of a problem than it normally is in this matchup. The other thing is, I still got members watching that first game. I don't know if you were watching that first game, but they brought this cat off the bench, Judah Brown, I think, and he just starts raining like NBA threes. I'm like, who is this guy? Well, when I watched that game, also I didn't know a whole lot about South Alabama going in. That was before, you know, I was very, you know, was it second week of conference play, maybe the third. And um, all they they said, well, South Alabama's got a huge loss because the big man's not playing, so they're going to have this kid who doesn't play at all who's going to play, and he might get taken advantage of. And, and the guy had like 12 points in the first three minutes of the game. Yeah. So yes, it was a weird one. But now tonight I am interested to see. They've got the big seven-footer, and UL hasn't played a ton of teams that have that type of size. Uh, the Sun Belt seems overall, for whatever reason this year, to be kind of a more athletic but you know not as much height. You've got a lot of really athletic forwards, but nobody, not a ton of seven, not really true centers in the league right now. Well, Arkansas State had that seven-two kid, but he was so thin. Yeah, and, and same you with just, Marshall. You could just push him out the, the way. The Marshall kid got kind of bullied yeah. in, in there, but this kid's this is a legit seven-foot center. Oh yeah, he's big. So how does he? I would assume he's going to try to defend Jordan Brown. How does he do over there? Does he present any kind of mismatch on the on the offensive end? Now, he's not a great offensive player, but sometimes with those guys, we saw with Akuba, sometimes you just have an advantage, so you go to it because there's nobody who can stop him on the other end. There's just no size. Does that cause any issues for UL? That's, that's what I'll be really interested to see. Yeah, and, you know, to your point, both Coach Marlin and the players talked about when we interviewed him after Wednesday's game about how Samuel wasn't there. But he averages like 10 and 10 or 10 and 11, Samuel. And this other guy scored 15 points in that game. So it was, they didn't miss much, any offense. Uh, he, he scored five more points than Samuel's averages for the season. Now he didn't get as many rebounds. He had like eight or nine rebounds. He didn't have like 11 or 12 rebounds. But uh, I don't know that they missed him that much. That guy also got hurt a little bit later in that game. He scored like the first seven points for. Um, and I think sometimes when you go in preparing for one play, a team, kind of like Troy against Jordan Brown, I think it can really mess you up more than it hurts you to be without that player, you know, because you're not really prepared for the team in that way. So we'll see what happens tonight. Yeah, and I, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up about the Sun Belt tonight because, of course, we've kind of gone through the scenarios. You all would need, of course, Marshall and Southern Miss to lose and a win in order to claim a share of the conference title. So I've been kind of monitoring those games. Now, I'm not really a better, but I always like to look at spreads because Vegas usually knows more than I do. And I always just – I have an idea of what I expect the number to be. Like where if I were to say, oh, I think UL would probably be favored by seven or eight points or whatever it is, and then take a look at the number. I thought, I thought this was shocking. Marshall on the road at Old Dominion is three-and-a-half-point favorite, which I thought is you know fair, whatever. Marshall's probably a better team, but they're going on the road. Southern Miss is only two-and-a-half-point favorites at Texas State tonight. They are a lesser of a favorite against Texas State than Marshall is against Old Dominion. Okay, Old Dominion lost by eight points at Marshall or in the first round. 
Uh, and so you're going on the road. I guess cut about cut in half. Southern Miss lost. I mean, um, Texas State lost by nine points in Hattiesburg earlier. And probably Texas State's a little more worn down than they were then. Again, they have the ability to muddy up a game. Texas State does. But I'm with you. I mean, I will not be surprised at all if Marshall loses at Old Dominion. I'll be a little surprised if Texas State. By the way, the Cajuns start at 8. So the the Marshall game probably starts at, what, 6 o'clock our time? 6 o'clock, yeah. And the Texas State game will start at 7. So at some point, like at halftime or early second half, we're going to know the results of the of of those two games. I don't I don't know that I don't know that the Cajun coaches or players will want to know that, but we will know. Yeah, so that's just the only reason I bring that up is at just that number. I thought Southern Miss, if I would have had to guess, I'd have thought they'd have been 7 or 8 point favorites. So not to say that that means anything really. I don't think that has I, I haven't heard of any injury news or anybody missing games or anything, but that's interesting to see that, you know, at least the the, the experts over in Vegas think that uh, Southern Miss might have some trouble tonight. And again, we'll of course They be haven't keeping, been playing well. They have not. They have kind of done exactly, you know, it's very similar to what happened to UL after Marshall. Marshall came in and there was all this hype around it and UL had a great game and they won and it felt like they were rolling and then they played really poorly afterwards. Southern Miss, UL goes to Hattiesburg and that was the beginning of UL struggles. They get a big emotional win, and then since then they've been pretty bad. So it, it's it's a very very small sample size of the wisdom and and theory behind medicine seasons. It's when 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 you when you experience that high, if you if you don't cope with it well, then it it it, it just kills you. And you know that's why it it's just it, it's why Las Vegas has so many casinos because people buy what they see right in front of them and they don't realize the impact of that from a positive and negative standpoint, how that goes forward. So, no, it can happen, no no question. I When you focus, it's why a lot of coaches don't like It's why, it's part of why a guy like Bill Belichick uh, does his interviews like this and he don't want to play up one. It's just another game. It's just the next game. Because if you go too high – if you you know I'm like you said earlier I'm not very good in physics or math either but if you go too high there's only one way to come there's only one way to go you don't just keep going higher and higher it doesn't work that way and then the other way that some coaches choose to approach it is the Kirby Smart Nick Saban approach which is just to convince their team that the media thinks they're the worst team in the world even though everybody knows they're amazing and then you just create this extra motivation that's really fake by yes. Georgia saying everybody doubted them and then it works Tom, and they keep yeah, winning titles Tom, Tom they just lied to him. It's like I've always said, coaches are just liars. That's just the way it is. But uh, Or you could do the old um, Vince Dooley. They got a really good long snapper, you know, kind of building up the other team and how good they are. So, you know, all of that goes into motivation, and we get it. But, no, I think, look, I've been saying all year, I think the best game the Cajuns played all year was the, was the game in Mobile. And I looked it up. There were seven – ties and 11 lead changes in that game now I didn't look all the games up but I can't believe there was another game the K especially the Cajuns because they had like nine or ten games where they didn't trail the whole game this year so I I just don't believe there was another game that was close to that back and forth with seven lead change with seven ties and 11 lead changes I think that was the best game of the season and it wouldn't shock me if tonight's rivals that game for how good of a game it could be 
from yeah. an exciting standpoint. I'd imagine I'd imagine the same thing. And you know, the other thing too, and, and it's something that you you can't necessarily see it on the surface because we're not in those coaching huddles and in those practices, but these teams have a probably a good idea that they might face each other again in Pensacola, that it's a possibility at least. So you kind of wonder, because we already talked about the second time around adjustments that things like that happen. You wonder how these teams will play each other, specifically South Alabama, because like you mentioned, now UL still has to has the chance to win the regular season title. They have to play this game to win it 100%. And I'm not saying South Alabama is not going to go out there and try to win, but do they hold some things back and play a little bit differently, knowing that the tournament's just a week away and the next game they play is going to be do or die, but this one isn't. I'll be interested to see how they do that. And maybe do they play their best players a ton of minutes? Now, South Alabama rotates. They play a pretty deep rotation anyway from what I've seen, especially when they've got – it depends on the game, but they play some more guys. But I wonder if if that now they're not going to play Tuesday, right? They're going to play Thursday, right? They won't be in that first. There's like a a first, almost like a play in round where those the bottom four will right. play. They won't be a part of that, so they will have time off. So maybe they don't consider that. But that is something I, I just was kind of thinking of in the back of my mind. Whenever you have a tournament coming up, I agree. I, I just think there's enough of a rivalry here, and 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 j- again, I don't know the coach very well, but I've I've seen him. In the old days, when I used to be able to see the opposing coach, I I I I really and that's really my favorite part of basketball. Most of the time, is watching the reaction of the other team, and I can't do that this year. But, um, but I I've been by him, and he's pretty intense. Oh yeah, I mean he's certainly a and guy that, I yeah. kind of think he's really playing. These guys are trying to win, you know win all their home games this year, we're going to show them kind of thing. I would not surprise if he's big on that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, and you brought it up too, and I've now seen like the social media push for it and, and Coach Marlin kind of mentioning it. This undefeated at home thing means more to them than I maybe thought it did as well, um, especially at least that's the, the marketing push that they're making. And it's, you know, every tweet that they have is kind of mentioning, I saw one earlier, one to go for history. And so that does seem like that's going to be part of uh, the Cajuns' plan is to really try to push this, and I'd imagine you're going to see a lot of, if they're able to get it done, you're going to see a lot of posts about it and a lot of different things about it. So hopefully they can do it. Um, but again, yeah, I, I, I will. whether they win or lose this game, there's some things I really want to see about this team that they can hopefully get right um, because, again, we've seen it in conference tournaments happen before. It's The conference tournament's not a great place to figure things out. You want to probably – have things rolling when you head to Pensacola. Right. And of course I told my wife about that and what her what was her response. Well you just cost the cages the game. Why would you even say that? Well and the other thing about the tournament though that I that I think again we've we've we spent a good day the other day talking about it. The way it's shaping up, UL's not gonna play a bad team in their first game. We keep saying that like they're going to be playing a really so you really don't have that even that game or, you know, in the past, I remember the 2018 team, they played Texas State in the first game, and that Texas State team was terrible. They beat them like 80-50. to 50. You're going to play Old Dominion oh, yeah, well, or you're going to play a team that's either won one or two games in the tournament yeah, because already. Of the, especially the yeah. way the bracket is now, you better be ready to go game one. You really don't have time to figure things. So I'm hoping tonight we can see some of those things that they've done poorly, especially in the second half, clean those things up, play well, and win or lose, at least feel good about what's going to happen next week. Should be a real good one. Again, 8 o'clock, Cajun Dome. ESPN too, but it uh, it should be hopefully it'll be a good crowd even though the baseball is going to be playing and well and you know what baseball is going to be two hours into their game maybe they'll be winning eleven nothing again and you can just walk over from baseball to basketball hopefully that'll be the case we'll take a timeout and be back.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. How are you, sir? Doing good. Have you got a chance to take a nap or two since you got back from Florida? Yeah, slept good. I slept good. Got a good night's sleep last night. Got up this morning, just played around the house here and getting ready to head into the office. All right, so, um, you know, obviously, y'all, everybody knows the level of competition you played in Florida, and then you kind of finished out the overall trip with a great performance against UCF. Overall, do you feel like you came out of this maybe a little better than what your record showed, or how did you kind of summarize it? Well, I think that you got to wait and see how the season plays out to really evaluate accurately what happened i mean i hope we come out of it in a position to be a better ball club but you know time will tell that so i'm just going to wait and see but i did feel like there was a lot of positive things among the losses that are a very negative thing and nobody likes to lose i hate to lose i don't want to lose i'm not satisfied with ever when we lose it's disgusting um Anyway, I could go on about that for a long time, but losing is not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, with that all in perspective, you know, you look at it, you were within one out of closing out the game with UCLA, which would have been a huge win. You know, they're number one in the country now this week, and we had a chance to beat them. And I think we started, you know, five or six freshmen and sophomores are playing, you know, relatively young or inexperienced in that environment, but they're very talented and definitely could have, could have won the game. And same with Arkansas, you know, we made mistakes and we get down four or five runs, Michigan, we get down four or five runs, but they fought back. And the one thing you could see with this team throughout the week is there was no quit in them. They kept fighting, they kept fighting, they kept fighting and they're talented. So if you got talented kids that fight really hard, that gives you a lot of hope for the future. And uh, I was really pleased especially with the fight where they just didn't give up. And, uh, you know, we can build on that as we continue to try to improve and become even better ball clubs. All right, so this weekend you have kind of like back-to-back doubleheaders. You play Texas A&M Corpus Christi at noon in Baton Rouge on Saturday and then play LSU following that around 2.30 or so and then do the same thing on Sunday but here in Lafayette at Lampson Park. So do you – you know, you, you played doubleheaders against, you know, even better competition last Saturday and Sunday. So do you do you kind of say, well, I'm going to start this girl in this game and this girl in this game, or are you figuring you're just going to play this, for basically the same lineups in both games? Yeah. No, I'm gonna, we're going to try to win. We're going to play whatever we think the best nine against LSU and Ole Miss. And those three games uh, against the SEC schools – 
I'll be starting the nine girls that I think can win the game and give us the best chance to win. And then against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, I'll be looking to evaluate some of the younger kids and maybe get the kids a, their first start to get a, get a look at them. I might do that. I might not. I might say I might wake up Saturday morning and say, no, let's get the nine on the field that's going to play against LSU and get them in a rhythm, get them going that day. But if I'm going to play around and, and give experience to someone, I could do that against Texas and Corpus Christi. But we're not in in, uh, in the games with LSU and Ole Miss. We'll be we'll be putting the nine out there that we think can win. Now we had a lot of we worked around a lot of injuries and sickness last week um, during the Florida State game. We had three kids throwing up, you know, and that that and I'm talking about key players that had to come out of the game or weren't available at the game. And, you know, something like that could happen again this weekend, and that will always change things at the last second. And hopefully we'll get Maya Davis back here in the next couple of weeks. All right, so Kayla Falterman and Kramer Eshte, how much have they, since the season started, kind of done things to increase their playing time or no in your mind? Uh, I think they're just really incredibly steady players. You know, those two girls have they played a lot last year as freshmen. Uh, one of them hit 414. The other one hit 358. They're proven contact hitters, and they're also very good defensive players and good on the base pass. So they bring a lot of intelligence to the game when they're in the game, and they bring a lot of defensive ability to the game. They both get good reads in the outfield. Ushte's arm is one of the best in the country, and then they bring speed on the base pass. So those are players that they really give us steadiness. You know, they're just they're just really smart, steady players. So it seems like it. Uh, have you totally decided to to put uh, Cecilia Vasquez at short and Alexa at second, or is that still something you're going to kind of toy with from a game to game basis? Yeah, we're just kind of playing on a game-to-game basis. You know, the situation, uh, Alexa doesn't care. Alexa's totally comfortable at shortstop or second base. And and Vasquez would say the same thing. Sissy would say she's comfortable at second or short. But I sense that my sense is that Sissy is a little more comfortable at shortstop than she is at second, and I don't think it matters at all to Alexa Langlier. I think Alexa's really comfortable. You know, anywhere you put her, she's going to play and, and do a good job defensively. So we're just really I've been trying to find a place to make the freshman most comfortable so I can get her in a rhythm. And, you know, I don't expect her to hit 400 for us, but if I can get her, you know, if I can get a 250 to, to, to 275, even 300 season out of her, I'll be – I'll be elated with the defense she brings to our ball club and her intelligence in the overall game. She's good on, you know, Sissy's just a really good all around player. So she's not a kid that has to about 400 as a freshman. Just give me a 250 average, and, and if I can get 300, I'll be, be thrilled. But it's more about getting her comfortable right now, especially when you, you know, you're putting a freshman out there against UCLA and Florida State and Arkansas and Oklahoma State. I mean, those are four huge matchup so it's really really a great experience for her to say i've been on the field with four you know top 10 teams in the second week of her college career and so the least i could felt like i could do is try to get her comfortable by putting her at her at the position she's played most of her life 
All right. So is the what? What I I'm kind of thinking the number one pri obviously the number one priority is winning. But besides winning this weekend in these four games and then going into the Ole Miss game on Monday, is the number one priority like seeing your pitchers pitch with command? Yeah, number one priority get for me is to get at least two starting pitchers comfortable, and I'd like to have three going into you know, the following week when we go to uh, Texas. But, you know, I felt like Shorman really got comfortable uh, last week, and I saw moments when Landry was comfortable, but and I saw moments when Carly Heath was comfortable, but I didn't see I didn't see them full-time comfortable. And I want to – my goal, I, what I'm hoping we'll see this week is we can get Landry really comfortable and really in a, in a position that she can just be – uh, you know, her potential, reach her potential, and be comfortable enough to reach her potential. You know, you've had some hitters who were, you know, probably did maybe even a little better than you thought they would do at the plate in, in the Florida, and others who didn't do as well. Is it still too early to make any rash judgments there, or are you kind of um, really struggling with how to make a lineup right now? Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with the lineup. I feel good. We got enough hitters. I think there was like seven kids hit hit over 275. And when you're playing that kind of competition, that's pretty good. Uh, Carly Heath hit over 400. Um, you know, Falterman hit right around 400. Uh, Kramer Estee hit over 300. Uh, Alexa Langler's over 300. Vic Valdez a little bit less than that, but for a freshman, hit the ball really hard. And then, you know, we, we know what Jordan Campbell can do. She showed us last year. She gets top 25 teams last year. Jordan Campbell hit 375 or three, no, 345. I'm sorry. She had 345 against 11 top 25 games. So we know what, what a hitter she is. And, you know, I'm not too concerned there. Then there's a pattern where you've got other kids that hit, you know, 150 in those games last year against top 25. And then they hit 150 again this week or less. So now those kids kind of – that's the ones I'm concerned about is that is that they're just not capable of playing against that kind of competition or are they just, you know, just not having the break and getting going. And so those are things that will get critical over the next two to three weeks that, you know, we we got to have everyone showing us what they can do as we go through the rest of the season. You know, obviously everyone, anybody can exceed Well, you know, that's not a bad loss with the teams you played this weekend. But sooner or later, if you want to get where you want, y'all are going to have to beat some of these top 25 teams. So this is a pretty important weekend, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's huge. And, you know, the loss to Michigan is the one that hurt. Uh, you you can lose to top 10 teams, and that's not that's – not, those losses didn't hurt. The Michigan loss where we fall behind 6-1, to one, 500 runs in the second inning, that that hurt, and that that's a, and Michigan will be a top forty RPI team, but that's a loss that'll keep you from getting the top sixteen regional, and and then to get the top sixteen regional, you've also along the way got to pick up wins, which the win at Central Florida will turn out to be a good win at the end of the year. But we need a win against LSU. We need a win against Texas. We need a win against Florida. You don't have to win all those games, but you got to win right along the way. And then the other critical game this weekend will be the Ole Miss game because I, I would expect Ole Miss to be somewhere between 25 and 50 at the end of the year. And those are games you want to win. And so that, that game will have as much importance on, on our weekend as any game on the schedule. 
All right, Coach, we'll get a chance to see you this weekend in Baton Rouge on Saturday at Lamson Park on Sunday. We appreciate your time, and good luck to y'all. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Appreciate your coverage. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, we won't have any more interviews the rest of the show. So this one and the next segment is the best time today to get in. If you want to talk about Saints NFL, college baseball, LSU is going to be playing this afternoon against Kansas State. We talked about that in Iowa over the weekend and how much better the weather's going to be this year than it was last season. And so we'll see when the Cajuns were in that round rock classic. So we will see, you know, look, Sam Houston's good that, you know, well, Sam Houston state, well, Sam Houston's, you know, they've been good in baseball for a while. And coach Deggs has a lot to do with that. And, um, and so, you know, that's it. You know, I don't know how good Kansas State and Iowa really are. I guess we'll find out some this weekend. But we already know Sam Houston's a competitive program. So not going to get maybe a huge test for LSU, but a pretty good test. And so, uh, again, if you want to talk about basketball, college baseball, or softball, any of that, certainly uh, busy, busy time with a lot of crossover here. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning. Good morning, sir. So. I mean, does does Mister does Coach Glasgow? He doesn't sound like he likes to do interviews. He didn't sound too happy with the the nap question and the line, the lineup question. Is it just me? <laughs> uh, I know one thing. He doesn't like to lose. I don't know if you got that message. Well, I mean, who who? I mean, who? Show me somebody who likes to lose. <laughs> Yeah, Wait, I, I'll no, agree with you. I, I you agree, know? but he really hates losing. Like he just. Oh, I did. Yeah. It took when when I was playing. It took a lot to shake hands when I lost. I it understand. took a lot. Yes. So I need you to pump the brakes, man. Last week I was listening. You talking about the Bears getting rid of Justin Fields? What, what you talking about, man? No, there's there's some people that are talking about them trading. Uh, I mean, picking a quarterback and trading Fields. In, in other words, yeah, they. Listen to me. I, I don't believe that's going to happen, but there are a lot of people that are mentioning that. Yes. Do I got to drive over there and start knocking on some doors and ask what's going on? I mean, this is the best quarterback we had in, in decades. <laughs> well, I understand. And I understand much. You know? But, but some and, people and think thing, Stroud I, is even I, better. Uh, listen, I, I, and I heard another rumor. What, what, what was Bill Belichick doing in New Orleans? I heard this week. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't. What do uh, you think? What hey. are you saying? What's the rumor? I can tell you one thing. He wasn't there for Mardi Gras. <laughs> that cat don't look like he likes Mardi Gras. He don't like much. He's worse than me. But, I mean. I think Bill Belichick is more of a pop culture fiend than most of us realize. 
because you just don't like him. That's the, <laughs> see, that's the way I feel about Drew Brees. The way you feel about Belichick. Well, I, again, I don't, I don't really hate the man. I just, you know, I, I, I get his wisdom. I, I, I understand his wisdom, but, but why in the world he thought Matt Patricia could be his OC? I don't understand that at all. I will never understand oh, that. I mean, the man's been successful. I don't, we still, we still can't figure him out. He cheats. He don't cheat. We don't know what else to do. Have a good week. <laughs> All right. Take care. No, Coach Glasgow is. Um, I don't think he minds certain questions, but but he's gonna he's among the most honest coaches, if not the most honest coaches I've ever dealt with at the professional, college, high school level, whatever. You know, he he's just he he he's pretty straightforward. But no, he. You know, I asked him about sleep because he's a guy who's just so driven once the season starts. I mean, he's just – he's constantly recruiting. He's constantly, you know, trying to figure out we lost a game. What what can we do? What did I do wrong? What do we need to change? Like what – he's just as intense as it gets. And uh, I'm sure if you have never heard it, like you could tell by his – he hates to lose. And to Saints haters' point – I understand that everyone, no one likes to lose. I get that. But Coach Glasgow really hates to lose. And he just, he does not handle it very well, losing. And, uh, you know, I think you kind of want that um, as fans. I mean, none of us, I think a lot of us, including myself, struggle with the whole my team lost a game and there they are hugging and kissing the other team. I, I just... That's very hard for me to deal with. So I get it. I get it. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Kevin, you know why he's honest? He lives in Cecilia. Everybody in Cecilia is honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kevin. Yes. Do you believe in Tommy Ray? Because I sure don't. Well, I don't know what to think of Tommy Ray. I mean, he pitched well last night. Obviously, you know, could it have been fool's go, I guess. I tell you what, I interviewed him last night. He's very confident and calm and smooth. And um, uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not ready to to say that he's going to be. You know, the second half of the conference season, he's going to be a weekend starter. But he certainly earned the opportunity to give him another look for sure. I agree with that. But it's the time before I go all all the way in. I need to say a little bit more than that because uh, I still have them since the last year and. Uh, it just uh, as the year wore on, they started to hit him. You know, like you said, pitcher battles start to catch up. Well, I think when he's bats gonna start to catch up. I, I don't think. I, well, I hope he does. I, I hope I'm wrong. But you know, I still see. I, you know, look, last night BYU got a taste of uh, the egg medicine. But when he can spin a game out of control, boy, he sure does it. And he spun them Mormons out of control last night. Uh, absolutely. Now, let's say Jackson Nezu does not pitch well tomorrow. Then you got to put Tommy ahead of him. Well, yeah. Uh, for now, I mean, for now. That's the one that fished Saturday, right? Right. Right. Not the one that fished Sunday. The one that fished Sunday was Florida State. He really did not do good. No, that's who but, I'm talking uh, about. That's him. That's him. No, you're right. Sunday. It, he He's scheduled to start tomorrow's game. Uh, if he doesn't do well again, you got to put Tommy ahead of him. Now, we'll see with Blake McGee. And again, we're talking about for now, all this stuff can change, but. Um, uh, we'll see how McGee does. You know, he's missing this weekend because of an injury issue. So we'll see how he re- rebounds from that. Uh, all the pitches I've seen so far, the one that looks like could be the best starter is a Moody kid. 
monster LSUV. To me, that looks like the best one so far. We'll see what Jake Hammond does tonight. But, yeah, he, he obviously did very well. Yes, sir. Well, all right, Kevin. Just don't uh, don't be uh, poking uh, old Jerry like that. You know them. You, you, you put this there, uh, city in the corner, they come out fighting, but so watch out. Uh, okay. Man, I didn't think I, – I, I thought it was a pretty harmless conversation. You, you I, I didn't think there was anything controversial in that conversation. Yeah, I didn't either. I don't really fully know what he said at the end there because the phone was kind of breaking up. No, he was but, saying uh, that kind of don't don't be poking on, oh. on Jerry. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. But I will say this about Tommy Ray. Um, I, I agree a little bit with FedEx, man, because I get stressed out every time he pitches. Last night was better. There's two things he does that drives me insane – and I'm hoping it's going to be better this year. But one is he has these at-bats, and sometimes it's whole innings, where he's nowhere near the zone walking yeah. guys. When he misses, he misses, like, bad. And then the other thing he does, and I'm wondering if if it's, like, a compensation for the other thing, is sometimes he gets to 0-2 and just throws the ball right down the middle over and over again. And Brennan Bro was on the ESPN Plus broadcast last night with Dan. I thought he did a good job explaining a couple of his 0-2 pitches. There was one that was hitting the left field for a single. It's like... So too, let's let's play around a little bit, and I wonder if he gets so nervous about because he loses his command that when he's throwing strikes, he just wants to keep pounding the zone. But when you're facing good teams and you're throwing 0-2 pitches down the middle, they're going to get hit. So that's but again, Tommy Ray was really pretty good for the most part last night. And the the other good thing though is you might not need him to be a, a weekend starter if you have some of these other guys. So maybe he can find a role. Maybe he could be the midweek starter. Yeah, and, and he feels like a guy that, that maybe relies on consistency and routine to be better, so maybe he will be better as a starter than a reliever because it, it felt like sometimes last year, again, sometimes he just doesn't have it. And I don't know, you could argue that's easier to overcome in either role because sometimes as a starter, if you don't have it, well, then you kinda, you're kind of you out of luck because now you just lost your starting pitcher. But when you come out of the bullpen and you don't have it, sometimes you know, you're putting those guys into big spots, so... It's a long season, but I, I do get anxious when Tommy Ray pitches for now. My question is, Blake Marshall had a performance two nights ago that people are still talking about, left-hander. Uh, I think most people think Dylan Toit is going to be a really reliable guy in the back of the pin, left-hander. Who is going to be the right-hander to, to be a seventh, eighth, or ninth-inning guy reliable to, to step up and be that right-hander of the pin? And I think that remains to be seen, so we'll see how that plays out. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. If you would like to get in, still a little few minutes left. Uh, the phone, the hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. Do want to congratulate Lafayette Christian, St. Thomas Moore, Lafayette High, and J.S. Clark and Opelousas. Girls basketball teams were advancing to the state semifinals. That will be in Hammond next week. 
Um, I know LCA, STM, and Lafayette High will all be playing on Thursdays. St. Thomas More will be playing Lafayette High, so that'll be so we're guaranteed in that bracket to have a, a parish team playing for the state championship. And so congratulations to them as well as to good luck to St. Thomas More boys and girls soccer teams. They're going to be in Hammond today playing for state championships. Both of them won the state championship last year. St. Thomas More, I think, has won five in a row going for six. So it is, um, you know, they've got a dynasty for sure, but could be two state championship teams um, there. So wanted to um, mention that. And boys basketball playoffs, a couple teams played last night. But the majority of the boys' basketball teams will start the first round of the boys' basketball playoffs tonight. And so next Tuesday will be round two. And, you know, obviously there's a lot more with all the brackets we've got now. There's a lot more teams in the playoffs than there used to be. And so that first round is kind of just a first-round thing. But by next Tuesday, some of the matchups will start getting pretty good, I would think. And so we'll see how. How that plays out. But, again, we've got high school postseason going on in addition to college baseball and softball heating up and NFL will be in free agency and we're not that far away from spring training starting in Major League Baseball. So lots of sports going on right now for sure. And, of course, college basketball is winding down the um, – Cajuns, as we mentioned earlier, will be playing tonight. The women will play Southern Miss. It's kind of a shame that that game doesn't mean as much because the Cajuns lost to Texas State on Wednesday. But if you remember that first-round game with Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, man, they should have won. They missed some free throws critically late um, and uh, and, and lost that game by one point. So we'll see. You know, while the game may not mean anything in terms of seeding per se, I would think if I'm – Coach Broadhead, I would like to get a win tonight just to have a little bit of a, you know, you don't want to, you don't really want to go into the conference tournament on a three game losing streak. Again, it may not affect your seed, but it might affect, you know, just make you feel better and play with a little more confidence perhaps um, when they play what we believe is going to be Arkansas State. By the night, tonight, by about 10 o'clock, I guess, when they, by the time the Cajuns, the eight o'clock start game finishes, we're going to know. Um, you know, we think we know, but we're really going to know for sure what all the brackets look like in the men and women's side in Pensacola, and so we'll see how that plays. Right now it looks like the women will be the seventh seed unless Georgia State upsets Georgia Southern, which is a state rivalry, so I guess it's possible, but probably won't happen. And they will play Arkansas State, who, again, that is not the team you want to play. They are really – they are really good offensively. They scored 98 points Wednesday night against ULM. But, again, I, I do think that teams that are really good offensively sometimes don't, in the conference tournament, the nerves and the, just the event itself, you're not as good offensively as you sometimes are, especially at home. So we'll see how all that plays out. But I'm sure uh, the women would like to get a win tonight and not be going into – the conference tournament on a losing streak, and the men are hoping to um, sweep South Alabama, which is fun in and of itself, and also become the first team in the Cajun Omer to win all its home games. You know, that's something that 
Coach Marlin has always talked about winning at home and winning in the Cajun Dome. And, um, and so, you know, that's always been somewhat of a priority. And here's their second chance. In 17, they had that chance in the last game of the year. They got beat by a Little Rock team that no one possibly thought that they could lose to. This is a much more significant challenge in a team in South Alabama that's won eight out of nine. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cajuns play. So, and again, big weekend that baseball plays again tonight at six against BYU. And as we said, we interviewed Coach Glasgow earlier this hour. They are going to play Texas A&M Corpus Christi twice. By the way, the Islanders are um, they're seven and two on the season. Now they haven't played a schedule anything near what the Cages have played. I get that, but they are seven and two. So I mean, you know, they're going to have to pay attention to win those games for sure. Um, and then they play LSU twice, and then Ole Miss here Monday at Lamson Park. I believe it's a five thirty. So Ole Miss is going to play. And that McNeese Cowgirl Classic or whatever they call it in Lake Charles. And then on their way home, they're going to stop here on Monday, play the Cajuns. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of that, the whole the old crossover kind of tournament mentality where you you go into a region and you play as many games as you can before you go home. And the Cajuns did that by playing, you know, at UCF on Tuesday after the Clearwater Invitational. So it makes sense taking advantage of road trips and maximizing your games played and your experience. And so that actually gives the Cajuns three SEC teams that they could potentially beat over the weekend. And that would make them feel certainly much better, as Coach Glasgow was saying. You get these top 40, top 50 wins, they pay dividends down the road, and we'll see if that will continue. All right, so we'll have a lot, lot, lot of busy, a lot of stuff to talk about when we come back on Monday, Lord willing, appreciate the phone calls. Y'all have a nice weekend.